Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Sportlight Podcast. On this week's Sportlight Podcast, we talk about how athletes could use their Sportlight, their influence to reduce and eliminate racism in their schools and communities. We had the pleasure of sitting down with Desi Lomax, former college football player, a 20-year veteran of law enforcement, and now he goes around and teaches and trains with the Arbinger Institute. It was a super engaging and enlightening discussion as he shared with us his family's experiences and gave advice to, to athletes, to coaches, and to parents on how they can help with this problem in our society. We hope you'll give it a listen. Welcome to the Sportlight Podcast for parents, coaches, and athletes. The Sportlight refers to the time in an athlete's life when they have increased ability to affect the culture around them and the increased opportunity to learn life's lessons through sports. This podcast aims to help parents and coaches capitalize on their athletes' precious time in the Sportlight. The Sportlight Podcast is brought to you by Especially for Athletes program. We would just like this episode to be specifically about what could our athletes do here to help eliminate racism and uh, what can they do when they see it? What can they do when to not be it? You know, all of those things. You know, Shad, that's a great, I've got some great suggestions. Sports have always been very integrated. Um, It's usually where, at least in this country, it's one of the ways in which um, even in the midst of like the 60s and 50s and in the midst of civil rights, in the midst of like a lot of difficult things for, for people of color, sports have always been an outlet. They've always been integrated. They've always been an outlet. They've always been a space where there was an equal playing field for the most part. You were simply measured by your ability to perform. Um, Football is great. You throw a helmet on. No one typically sees you outside or every, you know, it's, we're a family, we're brothers. And, and, and so, or sisters, um, it's, it's a beautiful atmosphere. Athletics is a beautiful atmosphere for integration in and of itself. Um, um, and so it really is a space to like create significant change and, and, and a high school athlete can, can create positive and productive shockwaves across their whole community. We see it. We celebrate it, you know, at ESPN. You know, like, there's so many cool, my favorite stories during the year are, are the high school kids that decide, hey, let's give this kid the football, right? He's been our manager. He's got some special needs, you know. He's neurodiverse. Like, let's get in the football. And, like, the other school's like, yeah, right? Kids are just diving around. This kid's running. You know, this kid will never forget it, right? Um, like sports have an, like a great capacity to see an individual, like to take an individual and say, I see you, I love you, I empower you. And, and, and our athletes are the hotbed for that. Like they are literally at the heart of, of really seeing the humanity of another person and loving that person. Um, it's what drew me to sports. You know, it's what it's what empowered my life. It's what brought me where I'm at today. Um, a lot of them, you know, I used to say one of part of my testimony was like every good thing that ever happened to me at the heart of it was probably a football at some point. Like God saw me. Um, I, I was blessed to be a, a six foot two kid and 200 pounds. I ran a four four forty. I could 
bench 500, you know, I could bench 300 and <laughs> spot 500. I wish I could, I wish it was the other way around. You know, I was a specimen of a kid back in the day, right? I had such access and opportunity um, to come out to BYU, play, play college football, um, meet my wife. Um, and all of it was everything stemmed from that. Um, one day I was at a camping site, just crazy. And I ran into coach Pella, coach Pella was my own old BYU coaches. And I got my kids, they're swimming in the pool and coach Pella sitting out there. He's retired. I old BYU coach for like 30 years. And he's got his grandkids out at the pool and he looks at me, he goes, you know what, Desmond, I did this. <laughs> you know, like, you know, he's looking at my kids. I got you out here. Like you got these beautiful kids and this beautiful wife. I did this, you know? Um, and I think that's, that's what I think our athletes have that same opportunity in how they empower and love and support. You know, there's so much they can, um, There's so much they can do over the course of a four-year high school career to simply say, look what I did. Look who I loved. Look at look at the look at the friends I've made. Look at the look at the people that that I've I've brought in and supported and cared for and, and made a specific effort so that everybody felt wanted and included. Like they have such a they have so much impact to be able to look over the course of their career and say, wow, like, look what I've done. And um, so, so I think there's a lot that can, that can, that can happen as a result of, of, of a student deciding that they're going to have some impact over several years in their, in their, in their careers. And, and it's something special, like there's something special in coach fella as we embraced and laughed and cried and sitting at this pool, watching our kids and grandkids play with each other and just say, yeah, <laughs> thanks coach. You did do that. You yeah. did see something in me. You did offer me a scholarship. You did make some things work. And, and then I was able to use that Avenue um, to, to, to see great things happen in my life. Um, so, so I think that's a little bit of my story. I came from Maryland, came out to BYU, football scholarship, met my wife. We had four kids. Um, I got a job in, in public safety and law enforcement for many years. I worked at a prison and the jail. I did a lot of uh, programming, trying to keep people out of prison to keep it simple. I retired from that after 20 years and in, in 2000, um, my son, my oldest son, who was a, a football player, um, passed away from suicide November uh, 2019. So it's almost two and a half years ago. His birthday's in a couple days. Uh, so this is always a rough week for the Lomaxes. Um, and uh, I think ever since then, I think I've been, me and my wife have been at the forefront of a, of a lot of these conversations. There's been a lot, you know, we've had COVID, we've had social justice, we've had all kinds of stuff. And people are like, so what about all this racism stuff? And, and I'm like, well, let me tell you a story. Like, I'll tell you a story about a sad kid that really struggled in high school. And um, we really, and that's when we were sharing this message and we started a nonprofit foundation to provide mental health supplies to Spanish work high school and and uh, we've been doing that for a while and just trying to, oh, man, we don't want people to go through what we went through, right? 
suicide's a mess. It's a mess. It's a it's a it's an isolated mental mess. And so we're trying to do whatever we can to um to reverse, you know, reverse the path for sure. Um and so so yeah, so so that's that's what brings me here. So I've coached tons, uh, I've coached lots of high school sports. I played college football. I'm now currently an officiator. I'm a ref out on the field. Be nice to those refs, folks. Most, <laughs> most of them do it because they're they're trying to do it in a way to keep kids safe. And we try to stay out of the way beyond that, right? We want to keep kids safe. We want to make sure things run pretty smooth. Make sure there's unfair, any unfair advantages and we want to get out of the way. Trust me, that's the average ref. There are some refs that just are terrible. They don't need to be <laughs> It's the truth. But the majority of us are trying to do it the right way. Um, and uh, we do make mistakes. Like, But uh, but just be, be kind to us. And so that's a little bit of what I do. I work for the Arbinger Institute, which is a consulting uh, leadership organization that, that basically teaches people how to see people as people. Um, when I see objects, um, productivity uh, in my business organization goes significantly down. When I see people and I engage people and I treat people as such, um, my productivity and the measurements of my work go way up. And so I work primarily with, with public safety agencies, but I also dabble with like school districts and uh, colleges and all kinds of organizations uh, because I help create a program called Outward Inclusion, which is a program we teach um, to really discuss how do we bring this all together, right? How do we have true inclusion in an organization? So so that's that's primarily what I do now. I do a lot of inclusion work in schools and colleges and, and, and businesses and law enforcement agencies across the country. So well, thank you for thank you for all that you do. And during this really unique last number of years, you know, you, your voice has been one that I personally have turned to to learn from and and to I would just really appreciate what you and your wife do and for the community. I do think, Desi, that there is a sometimes a naivety that People think because I am a loving person, you know, and that racism doesn't exist, you know, and it's easy to tell ourselves things to allow us to detach and not engage in a very complicated problem in, in our society. And, and Dustin and I really work with these athletes to, to address, to use their social influence, to address situations that exist and to make life better for everybody around them. But when you imagine these athletes, when you imagine the social influence they have at their school, the, the impact they have on their student body, what are some thoughts that you have about things that they could do so that people of color can just be people. <laughs> okay, let me, I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you some interesting story. I'm gonna tell you a story. I'm around a group of friends in my locker room, right at at, at the university I'm I'm going to school at, and uh, I'm at the locker room, and and I'm just sitting there. You know, we just locker room. We all sitting around waiting for the next thing to happen. Is what kids do, and some kids are saying some disparaging remarks about my belief system, 
and a few other guys, you know, belief systems in the room. Yeah, I think that's bullcrap. Oh, I think this is nonsense. Oh, I don't, you know, really, if I didn't grow up, I wouldn't believe it. Uh, I don't even know why people waste their time, right? And I stand up. I'm like, look, look, man, believe what you believe. It's cool. Don't badmouth what I believe. It's not okay. All right. Some of us have spent a lot of time and a lot of effort in the in the heat of Africa. <laughs> Some of us, you know, we spend a lot of time like sharing what's important to us. And while you have a right to believe what you believe, you have no right to like, like be hard on what I believe. And and there were a few people that came up afterwards, and I still have people to this day. This was like 25 years ago. They come up to me and say, hey, doesn't man. I remember, I remember when you when you stood up for me. I remember. Thank you. Like, I remember, like, I didn't want to say anything. It was really awkward. And I remember when you stood up for me. And and so I think athletes, it's become kind of a, a common cool thing to get like an end pass, right? I can say the N-word because my black friend gave me an end pass. Or it's a cool thing to, to say the N-word because I because I hear it in music. And and I've actually had people say to my son when he was alive that, that no, no, there's nothing wrong with the N-word because it's in the music you listen to. Well, it wasn't in the music he listened to. It's not in the music I listened to. Um, the reality is using the N-word is just not okay. It's just not okay. It impacts people and it hurts people. And and as athletes, right, to get to get the to get the type of team unity we want, right? To be the to, to have the type of performances we want, people who feel included in a part of the process perform at a much higher level. And so if I'm a team leader, I have to stand up for what's right. If I feel someone saying something disparaging about someone, it is perfectly okay for me to say, hey, that is not okay. Do what you want to do when you're outside of the locker room. Do what you want to do when you're down the street. But when we're here and we're football players and we're a team, it is not okay. And, and any football player can do that. And in, in fact, it sends a message to the football team that you are more important than what than the words people are going to use. And we're not going to tolerate it. And people that feel that way will run through brick walls for you. People, people that feel protected and safeguarded will run through brick walls or very thick offensive linemen <laughs> for you. You know, or lacrosse guard, or whatever it is. Like, like, and so, so, what's what's available for us as athletes is an opportunity to to stand up because we all feel it, right? Like, whether it's directed at us, and this is the this is the important thing, Chad. I got to hit and Dustin. Whether it's directed at us, if I'm not an African American, like the N word probably doesn't like it doesn't hit me like it was if I'm black. But still, as a white person. There's something in me that says, ah, oh, man, like, uh, like, uh, like it ain't, it ain't right. Uh, it ain't right. Like, and so that's that part in you that's saying, speak up. Like, like, cause, cause not only are you freeing that other person from being treated poorly, there's something in yourself that you're freeing by speaking up. 
And, and I think there's something in society now that we forget about that little voice, right? That's kind of nugging at us, right? And trying to, you know, this is kind of, ah, oh, my people saying the N-word or they're saying these crazy things in my, in my locker room or in our room that we're doing our work and it's gnawing on me and I'm not speaking up. And athletes need to speak up because there's somebody in that room that that little gnawing means there's somebody in that room that's being hurt. We are so interconnected with people. We can sense when another person's uncomfortable and they're not feeling safe. We can really sense it. And when we start picking up on that and acting to improve the safety of other people, we're only, we're only being safe ourselves. And so back to your one question, Chad, and I apologize for talking so way too much. When you say that there's some people who are like, man, this, this African-American thing and this racism thing, we solved it in 1965, and I don't know why it's even an issue. People just throw the black card out to feel empowered so they can get advantages. People that say those things, right, don't feel free themselves, right? If I felt good about where I'm at in this whole societal thing, then I would be a lot more curious about what people are experiencing and going through. When I lack curiosity and all I'm doing is justifying why people are saying what they're saying, my justification is a sign that I don't feel whole. Um, we can get real technical. Better than worse things, right? I'll give you, I'll throw some arbiter work at you. Right. Sometimes when we feel that we're better than someone, we have to justify why we're better than. Sometimes when we feel worse than someone, we have to justify. But that justification is just fueling what's false. We're not better than or worse than anybody. We're all humans having human experiences. And we all need each other. Yeah. And so whether you agree racism is a thing or not, doesn't doesn't matter to me unless your disagreement tends to see me as less than a person. Your justification see me as less than a person. I don't think racism is a thing. Well, I'm like, okay, believe what you want to believe. We all have our beliefs and experiences, but am I a person to you? Am I a human being that has needs, hopes, fears, want to be loved, want to feel safe in my environment? When you look around in society, can you say, well, yeah, Desmond and his family are safe in this current environment? Can you say that? Have you talked to me? Have you asked? Or does what you believe about who I am totally squash your curiosity altogether? Um, so I, th I think for an athlete, especially leaders, right? Athletes that want to be leaders. You have to have high levels of curiosity. And I wonder when people are saying this, who's impacted? Because I'm feeling a little something in my chest, right? I wonder who's, I wonder who's feeling impacted by the words that are being used in this locker room, by the words that are being used in this community. As a leader, I'm measuring impact all the time and I'm adjusting and I'm making sure I'm having a positive impact. I'm making sure the people that I'm a captain over in a team or people with my fellow teammates are having more positive impact. I, hey, Dustin, I know why teams lose. I know why teams lose. And you know it too. Let's just, uh, let's break it down to impact. 
one team has more impact than another team. That's why they lose. Like, if you want to keep it simple, like if I'm a team and I have greater impact to do the things I want to do to be successful, more so than the other team, I'm going to win. True. There are, there are games and times, Dustin, I'm sure you look at it, you're like, man, I know we're better than this team. I know we are. What is going on? Impact. Like, like sometimes you can even be better, but somehow they win the impact game. And we know, like, the, we know that there's the obvious things, like in football, like turnovers and different things that have dim- dim- impact. But there's also the mindset of my athletes. How do my athletes see themselves and their capacity to do what they need to do to be successful? And and when you look at that type of impact um, and you look at the leaders in your team, you can have an immense um, um, growth in your teams when teams understand impact and they're moving forward based upon impact. And they're looking at everybody in their team as agents of impact. Right now, I have a question for you on that because I like that analogy you just gave. If you put it into a football game and a coaching, Mm -hmm. you know, as a coach of a sport, whether it's football or whatever sport, there are the obvious things like you just touched on that anybody from the stands can recognize that you lost that game because you missed the field goal. Right. That's the obvious. Um, Mm -hmm. You threw the interception. That's the obvious. Um, but what the coach does when he's sitting down with his players is you're trying to point out the things that aren't so obvious, right? That, that just the average Joe in the crowd, uh, maybe didn't notice that your spacing was bad on that play, or you took the wrong step on that play, or your helmet was on the wrong side on that block. And that enabled a guy to, to shoot into a gap. He shouldn't have been in whatever. Right. So, and, you know, we, we those are the things that spend hours and hours and hours in the film room on. So if you look at that in the topic that we're discussing in, in racism, for somebody like, you know, like me, who's a um, I don't I dang, as hard as I try to understand racism, I there's just certain things I don't understand. I can see the obvious. I can you know, and I can see when someone uses the N word, you know, and, and I do cringe. That's that's the, the guy in the crowd that sees the interception or the missed field goal and says, oh, yeah, that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, it's obvious. But what are those little things that happen in the course of your life or in an, in an African-American's life that maybe the the average Joe uh, novice football fan in this example we're giving yeah. doesn't notice until they sit down with someone like you, the coach, and say, hey, here's some other things that's going on in our society that we need to recognize if we're really going to become great as a society or in this example, we gave great as a team. Yeah, no, I I love that. Um, One thing is, I'll give you a few. One thing is, is invisible work. Uh, The average African-American who lives in a predominantly white space has to put in a lot of invisible work just to feel comfortable, just to feel comfortable. Um, um, And when you understand the principle of invisible work, and, and you have someone of a, of a different ethnic background coming to your sports team or something, um, you can help ease that invisible work by, by really engaging people in a way and, and being super supportive of them. Like um, what we've learned, Dustin, is some of the basic things to be supportive of everyone are some of the basic things to be important of, of be, uh, are important to people of diverse backgrounds. 
And so if I'm an African-American, I'm in a, I'm in a predominantly white football team, but I don't do anything on that football team that's creating commonality. Everyone's going to suffer, but that kid that's more different than anyone is going to suffer at a greater level. Does that make sense? So like, so as a football team or as a soccer team, if I'm not doing anything that allows my players to get to know each other, to connect to each other, to support each other. If I'm not doing any of those things, those basic things, not only am I suffering as a whole team, but the people that feel marginalized in the team are going to have greater suffering gaps because they do more invisible work just to feel safe in their spaces. I, I can't, I can't do the invisible work anymore. I cannot do, I, I am exhausted. I'm exhausted. My, my kids are being called the N word. Um, I've got like, like, like school district leaders um, saying that com- comparing minorities and socialism in the same, almost like a synonym, like we're the same thing. Like anytime they mention African-Americans, they mention socialism, like within, like in my own state, the state I've lived in in 20 plus years, not understanding that people see socialism as a real threat in our country. So by attaching African-Americanism to that, I'm instantly a threat to a lot of people. Um, it is it is difficult to navigate spaces when when people aren't even doing the basic things to care for each other. I have I have people tell me, Lomax, you don't understand. Like like I don't like anyone. <laughs> I have people that tell me that you don't understand. I'm not a racist. I don't like anyone, and I tell them, if you don't like anyone. Not only is is the whole not only is that group of anyone a problem, but those of us that are feel marginalized in the system, there's greater gaps for us. And so, so one thing is is as a team, am I, do I have things that I'm doing to teach kids socialization skills? I know that sounds goofy, but the average team needs to communicate with each other. So it's really essential that I have healthy socialization skills in my team. Because if I'm helping my kids socialize with each other and connect and support each other, not only do I have a better athletic product, but those kids that could potentially feel marginalized are being now empowered. So so even though there's greater gaps, if I'm not doing the work, right? So if I'm not doing any work to connect people, there's greater gaps for those that are minorities. When I do the work, there's greater gaps for those minority people to feel a part of the process. They have greater gains. And so, so when we're talking about like, you know, gapping and spacing and keeping your head on the edge and, and you know, blitzing in the right hole and all those type of things, from a, from a diversity standpoint, um, if you look at things like COVID, if you look at things like everything that's going on in social media, kids are not socializing like they used to. So there is, there is distinct divisions, like, like kids... Kids could be right next to a person and feel absolutely isolated because they're stuck to their phones. So, so as, as coaches and leaders, if we're not doing socialization activities that are bringing people together and connecting people, not only are we not going to have better teams, like kids that feel marginalized are going to feel more marginalized than ever. <laughs> and, and so there's got to be socialization activities. There's got to be activities where if I know, if I'm a coach or I'm a team leader, and I know I've got like one black kid on the team. Like, I want to I want to occasionally check in and say, dude, how can I make sure your experience 
is just as awesome as everybody's experience here. Yeah. Because I care about you and you're important. And I might need to take that little, it, what, that five minutes conversation to pull somebody aside and look them in. Dustin, you're real good at this. I've seen you do this. Take five minutes to pull a kid aside and say, you have immense worth to me and to this football team. So how can I help you? How can I make you, how can I help you feel that you have that worth? Here's one other thing, Dustin, and I'll try not to cry. Oh, this is a hard one. I remember being a high school coach, assistant coach. And it seems like a lot of the kids that struggled the most were like kind of our ethnic minority kids, like our Latinos, African-Americans, or our poor white kids. So you have to, so I hope we recognize that when I'm talking about diverse and, and marginalized kids, I'm talking about white poor kids. And I'm talking about ethnic kids that like look may look differently. Like they all fall in a similar group when you look at the statistics. And I started, I recognized, I got old, but so I hope coaches and leaders, I hope you see this. It seems like our poor white kids and our ethnic minority kids were struggling hard. And what do we do typically as coaches? We take these hard lines with, hey, you got to do this. You can't be a part of the team. It's not, it's not really helping us, man. I'm give, we're going to give you chance after chance. Well, we got to let you go. And I remember like there were kids that were like, man, we can't, dude, we just can't have this on our team right now. And I look back at some of those kids, understanding what I know now. And I realized that those kids needed sports more than all the other kids. All the kids that mom and dads dropped them off and were supporting them and helping them, like, and they had like the cliques and they had everything they needed. Those kids would have been fine whether they had sports or not. But the kids that are struggling the most need sports more than anything. They need it more than anything. And instead of like, you know, I look back now and said, instead of like taking a hard line, what I needed to do was bring the whole team in with this, with this child, with this student athlete and said, look, Jim needs help. We have captains and leaders on this team. How are we going to love him? More than any of you, if there's somebody that needs to be on this team and be successful, it's Jim. And, and what we're finding is, is that we put rules and guidelines and, and, and to support our team. They have to be in place. You got to come. You got to come on time. You got, I mean, there's things we have to do and, and we have to do those things. But we have to remember that there are marginalized kids that don't have the parental support um, that may need a little extra TLC from us. And whether we win a football game or not is nice. But that kid having that experience is everything. Um, and so I don't, those are just some things I picked up. Like, yeah. like uh, I don't remember how many football games I won in high school. Do you guys remember? You guys might. I don't remember how many football games I won in high school. We forget I, all that stuff. I don't, I don't remember um, how many touchdowns I scored. I don't remember how many tackles I made. I remember my friendships and I remember how much fun I had just being around people that I, I had an opportunity to love. And That's unfortunately my yeah. oldest boy played football and had a completely different experience. He didn't feel that love and that connection. 
there weren't coaches like reaching out and and care. he was good. <laughs> like I, 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 there was there wasn't there wasn't a lot of TLC or, or people helping him understand his worth, not just inside of the the octagon, but outside of the octagon. And um, if if we want to improve our sports and we want our athletes to to be a part of that. Um, one of the things we can do is bring them in with the kids that are struggling most and asking those kids to support them. Whether, whether okay, every captain walks his kid to class <laughs> to make sure his butt gets in class. Um, as crazy as some of those things sound, you're empowering your athletes to care for your, for your other athletes that are struggling and it's building the type of socialization and unity that four years from now, a kid can look back and say, look what I did. Well, one, one of the things, Desi, that I talk to kids about all the time on, on the teams that I've coached on, but more recently, almost every time I speak at a school, I take a, I mean, I, I take five, 10 minutes to discuss the difference between being a teammate and a team member. And in order to be a, a teammate, and that word mate actually has some meaning to it. Um, it's, it's used in other words to describe a certain type of connection or relationship. So that word mate's important. But, you know, sometimes, and I would, I would assume that this was similar in the case of your son, um, you know, we see our teammate and we see him at practice or a game, and that may be the best time of the day for him because he's might be away from all those other struggles that he's dealing with at school or at home, um, family issues, things he may be fighting with. Or, but when he gets around a team, in a lot of cases, not in every case, I, I don't think this was the case in, in your son, but um, you know, sports does have that ability to bring people together. Um, but if we don't do more than just say, Hey, because we wear the same Jersey, I'm supposed to be, you know, cool to you for a couple hours a day. That's being a team member, right? You're members of the same team that the teammate is the person, if I'm hearing you right, that, that does the stuff outside of the team too. the walk into class, the checking in on what are you doing this weekend? The, the texting or stopping by in the evening and making sure that your teammates okay at home, that he's getting his homework done, that he has a ride to practice that, you know, he has some of those things that you need. That's that's the difference. And and that really in when when a team that's run properly, that's the beauty of sports is that we see that probably more in sports than we we do in the regular world. That because that's the I think the beauty of sports is that you learn to just if done properly, you learn to love your brothers and care for each other, and you don't even notice, you know, the the color of skin and things, but but we need to do better at that, obviously, in teams, but especially in society. So if you were sitting down with, with my wife and me and talking to my kids or Shad and his wife and talking to his daughters, if, if you were sitting down with us and you were trying to help them understand what some of the, you know, the, 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 the people who feel marginalized and belittled because they're from a different, you know, they're from somewhere else or they look different than the, the majority of the people do in the school. What would you tell my sons or Shad daughters to, to look out for, to be careful with how they acted or said, or. Well, well, I, I think, um, first of all, I, I explained the process of proximity, right? 
um, uh, when there's somebody who's who's different or they may look different or they have different beliefs, a lot of times we don't have close enough proximity to them to really get to know them as people. And so basically most people, because I know Shad and I know you, Dustin, I'm positive your children have been socialized, right? to communicate and make friends and be decent to people and, 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 and learn to care about people. And so at times when people are different than you, you have to close the proximity um, in, in, in getting to know people in a way to use those social skills that you've been given. And at times when typically people are different than us, um, we, we tend to not have a close enough proximity to do that. And so there's nothing like, incredibly unique like hey you're black i'm white let's be friends no it's not it's not that ebony and i you know we don't have to be singing songs and stuff um what we simply need to do is is recognize like that i'm a person that has worth and people that may not look like me are people that have worth and i need to be curious like if everybody was curious in in a way in which they were curious about the humanity of another person we wouldn't have these issues, but we've created systems and structures and ways in which we socialize to believe that, you know, you can be different based upon the color of your skin. Um, and so recognizing that, that that may be a thing, I close the proximity. I do it every day, Dustin. I run, I see a little old white lady and she winces a little bit. Um, when she sees me, cause you know, that's what little old white ladies do cause they've been socialized. It's okay. And I just smile. I give them a big smile. I ask them how they're doing. You know, I understand the process of socialization. Um, you know, our ability to, to close the gap and just smile, close the gap and see what people's needs are. Like, hey, like, this is a person just like I am. And they're sitting over in this corner by themselves. I wouldn't want that. So I'm just going to close the proximity let them know that there's somebody that sees their humanity. So I would really give an invitation to people. Um, um, I give an invitation to people that, that, that we know what it's like to be cared for. We know what it's like. We know what it feels like. And I would, I would ask your kids, you guys know what it likes to be cared for. You know what it likes when you feel seen? You know, you know what it likes when like someone sees you and they're helping you and supporting you? But do you know what that's like? That'd be number one. Now that you know what that's like, I want you to be a little more aware of the people around you. They may not be feeling that. And be an agent, be an agent to help them feel seen and connected to. Because we all know what it's like when we feel seen. We all know what it's like when someone is putting that extra time to support us. And in those moments, it's not about our skin color. It's not about our gender or our religious beliefs or our, or, or our political affiliations. When we truly feel seen, we feel the person acknowledging the humanity that is within us. And everybody, at least a lot of people have examples. Most people know what it's like to feel seen and humanized. But even those that don't, even the opposite of being, which is objectification, if you know what it's like to be objectified, then you also know what it's like to not want to feel that as well. 
And so what does it feel like to, to be humanized? What does it feel like to be objectified? And, and how do you, and in looking around, you typically have a sense of what people, where people are at in that, in that spectrum. Mm-hmm. And just be an agent, be an agent of, of, hum, of, of helping people be more human and feel more human and feel more connected. And there's so many things to do. I hate to give a list of things because some people are, are introverts. And like, I am the biggest, most of my examples be like, hey, go talk to somebody, hey, cook somebody food. I'm an extrovert, if you couldn't tell. But an introvert might be to write a note to say, hey, like, I noticed this cool thing about you yesterday. Um, I had this sweet little girl and I was speaking at a, at a meeting and she drew a picture of me, like, and she quoted um, like something I said that was impactful to her. And she showed me the picture and the quote as a part of her journal. Like, so whatever it looks like, all we want to do is, is reduce the objectification and increase like our ability to connect to another person's humanity. And, and I think based upon the child or the adult, like it's going to be different ways of doing it but it has the same positive impact. Awesome. I love that, man. I, um, that's, that's something we could all do just to think, cause it's all, it's going to look different for every person, the way they do it with their personality. I, can I ask you a question about a word you're using that, um, I've been caught up on since you used it, the, the invisible work. Yeah. Um, I, my, I have a daughter right now dancing at Snow College as a badgerette and gets to know the football team really well. And, and I've, she had these, these two really good friends, African-American kids, one from Philadelphia area, one from Stockton, California. And she brought them down to Spanish Fork to show them her hometown. And, and she said, I, oh, let's go. We're close to my house. Let's go meet my dad. And, and uh, I'd love you guys to meet my dad. And, so they got about a block away from my house and these two young men said, Oh, wait, wait, does your dad know we're black? And Emma was like, well, he won't care. I don't know if I've told him you guys are black, but my dad won't care. And they're like, these two young men would not come. Like my daughter was embarrassed to make the call, but she called me and said, Hey dad, they want you to know that they're black before they come to our house. And, and that broke my heart a little, right? Like I have never, ever paused and thought for one second to go meet a girl's parents. Like I've never paused one second and thought, do they know my ethnicity? (laughs) You know? And it kind of, and my daughter was like mad at him because I don't think she understood you know, and she was like, you think my family's racist, you know, like <laughs> my family's not racist. But, but when you're, I was thinking of that story when, um, and then, and then, so she invited them to our family uh, pumpkin carving contest that we had at grandma's house. And these two young men come and are just hugging everyone. They're very vivacious young men, just super, and just mixed in great with the whole extended family. And we got to see each other's humanity, ask them about where they're from and all this stuff is just, it's beautiful when we get to know each other. Right. But 
But when you use that phrase, the invisible work, I don't know that I can picture, is that kind of what you're talking about, that these young men have this worry on their mind, this thing that I've never even considered, but they're like managing who they meet and do they know I'm black and do they know this? And I'm just wondering about that phrase, what that looks like for our marginalized youth. What is the invisible work they're putting in? Yeah. Um, um, so if I'm an African-American male, um, the invisible work might be, am I a threat? Could I potentially be a threat to anyone? Because there's some people in society that see me as a threat. So I need to make sure that the, the individual, the invisible work of, of potentially being a threat is why I would have my dear friend call, call their dad. Right? <laughs> Let me just make sure I check in on that. Um, and, and, and folks, if you haven't experienced it, it's just, it's really, really hard to recognize. Um, a single mom at church full of family members will have invisible work to do. Um, a kid in poverty that shows up and all of his friends got the fresh new Nikes on and he knows he can't afford them. And he's just wearing basically what he got, what he found at, at, at the local welfare center. There's invisible work he's going to do. And, and to try to get to a space where he can feel comfortable, mm-hmm. you know, um, like, like there's, there's a, there's, there's that type of thing that's evident in this. And when we're a little more aware of the invisible work that we're each putting in, we're a little more sensitive to the fact that, that, that people are putting work in and by recognizing their humanity and embracing it, I can minimize that work. And that's that, that's that when I was talking about, hey, come hey, you know, hey, come on over, man. Let's have a chat. I noticed you're struggling with your grades, man. Like, so we have a program in our team where uh, there's going to be players that are going to be here. I got this kid's a 4.0 student. You know, this kid kills math. He's a math. Here's my math guy. Here's my English guy. So we're going to put those guys on you. So you're going to come from school right over 30 minutes before practice, and they're going to check your stuff and make sure you're on. So it sounds crazy, but what we're saying is, is we love you enough that we don't want you to go because of school stuff. And we don't understand all the indivisible work that you might have a learning disability and you're trying to catch up. You might have support at home. We don't, we can't see the invisible work. So we have processes in place to simply love you and encourage you to be successful. And so, so, so that's why like recognizing and understanding the concept of invisible work helps us to create processes in which we're supporting people when we when we see what we see is maybe like the poor grades or the poor attitude what we don't understand is the invisible work that that person that that person's doing and this is the best that we have right now this is the best they can give us thank you yeah that i wanted to understand that phrase <laughs> yeah that's cool phrase yeah. Yeah, we all. I I picked it up from a from a from a Georgetown professor. She's fantastic. Yeah, Doctor Tata Tinsley. Um, but anyway, yeah, like it's it's um, yeah, no, it's it's just a thing, and, and we all have different elements of that. Whether we're in poverty, whether we're a kid in diverse from a diverse back ethnic background, um, we all have invisible work, and so what do our processes look like to help improve that, empower people? Well, and that's why I love, you know, the especially for athletes program. I love doing what we do, but this is something, you know, as I, Dustin and I have talked about this and 
as we go to schools, it's, you know, we talk about bringing in the lonely, bringing in the marginalized and, and this is, I think you've helped us Desi to, to understand the different aspect of this, that, that what that looks like, you know, it's, it's what the, I think being nice and, and everything and inclusive, I think that's really, really important, but these other areas as well, where we're, we're being intentional. We love that word. Dustin and I use it a lot. One of our favorite words, but it's one thing to kind of passively try to be a good person. It's another thing to be intentional about creating an environment of belonging for everybody. And our athletes are incredible. You've seen that. These kids, man, we share this message of inclusion with them, of eyes up, do the work. You keep your eyes up. You look for people who might need you. You do the work and you do something. And I think as I've been listening to you today, I think you're really helping us understand maybe what to do the work, you know, what to look for, the eyes up, and then the do the work portion, some things we could do to, to not put up with it at all. You know, I, I imagine if something said at a basketball game, even by one of your friends in the stands, you know, could you imagine a basketball player with their influence going over and, Hey, dude, don't do that. Like, don't say that. And, and then just throw the ball in and go play. You know what I'm saying? Like, like there's just a, yes. if there's this awareness and then bringing in teammates, bringing in the marginalized, making sure we just did an episode, the one, uh, our episode last week on being a teammate and Dustin's talked a little bit about that already, but who's not there. And if I hear you correctly, if there's a, a kid of color or a kid, a kid from a different economic background, or if, if they're not there, it's weightier for them because it's not just that they're not there. It's that they're not there. And it might be because of, because of my ethnicity, it might be because of my, uh, economic background. And, and so to like great teammates will be aware, like who's not here and will be super intentional to make sure that no one is sitting home thinking, well, I'm not there because of this to break down all those walls, which I think as we've already talked about, that is the beauty of sports. I, man, my Jerome Payton, Mike Hamlin, Maurice Wright, these guys I played high school basketball with, I don't know if I would have got to know them and see how great they are. And we're friends to this day. If sports wouldn't have brought us into the same locker room and we wouldn't have went through those battles together and won together and lost together and cheered together and cried together. And sports provides an environment for us to really see people and see their attributes and see their uniqueness. And everyone I've, I've got to know that way, I've loved no matter their color, their economic background or anything like that, when you really get to know someone, you fall in love with them if they have those, those characteristics that, that you value and, and you have the ones that they value, which I would say is 98% of our, uh, the people that we cross every day. Chad, you bring up a great point. I'll tell you something. I hate to, to make things about me, but I'll just give you a few examples um, and we'll, we'll finish up. Um, um, anytime I'd go to my son's rugby games or a football team, I always look at kids' shoes. I always look at the kids' shoes. Because you know what? I'm not rich, but I can afford an extra pair of shoes, right? So I'd look at the kids' shoes. Like, who's got, who's got crappy shoes? 
right. And I asked them, hey, what size shoes you wear? They go, oh, 10 and a half, 11. I'm like, dude, do you need a new pair of shoes? I got you. What brand do you like? Oh, really? And, I, and, and I'd, I'd order them. I'd go pick some up and i get a pair of shoes. This is once a year. Just find a kid that has crappy shoes and find a pair of shoes. Like, like they're, they're simple. There's like simple stuff. Like when we like, I love it. When our eyes are up, like particularly as parents that are in like middle class and we, we know we got an extra hundred bucks in our pocket. Like there's simple stuff we can do when our eyes are up to say, hey, I see you and I love you. And you're part of my kid's team. We'd always bring desserts for the offensive lineman when my wife, when my son rushed for a hundred yards. And they saw us coming. And he did it a few times this senior year and the junior year. We bring desserts and we feed those offensive linemen. And just, hey, hey, we love you. Thank you for keeping our son safe. And thank you for blocking. <laughs> and as parents, like there's so many things we can do as parents. I took us 15 bucks to make some sheet cake, some Texas sheet cake, cut it up for the kids, say, hey, thank you. And my offensive linemen would be running over like cattle. Like, you know, they see, they see us coming, like, you know, you know, like a goldfish when you feed a goldfish, they go, you know, this is where they come running over. They're like, oh, the Lomaxes are here. They brought out desserts. And uh, take two, take three. Um, there's so much we can do when our eyes are up. So, so anyway, thank you for summarizing that, Shad. I just want to throw those points in there. Um, there's so much we can do when our eyes are up and we're doing the work, particularly the work of empowering um, another person by seeing them as a person with needs like we have. Des, before we, before we uh, wrap up here, I just, and I'm sure Shad, uh, I know Shad uh, feels the same, but I just want you to know that we see you, man. And uh, for any part that, I or any of the people in my uh, my influence have have had in bringing any pain to you or your family or or anybody. I apologize, but um, you know, in the time I've gotten to know you, and it, it hasn't been a ton. We haven't spent a lot of time together, but we've had several good chats uh, over the years. And I just want you to know I love you, and and uh, um. We're, we're lucky men to have you as our friend and we're lucky in this community to have had you in it and, and with us. And um, anyway, I, I love you, man. Thank you. Thank you, coach. You are a, a rock star. Um, um, it always touched my heart when you get the kids together, uh, got the team together and you start talking about what really matters. I think there's the, there's the nuances of, Hey guys, be here tomorrow at nine o'clock. And then there's the, Hey, Hey guys, like, this is what leadership looks like. This is what it looks like to be a teammate. I appreciate what you and you and uh, Shad are doing. Um, it is sorely needed, um, and, uh, and 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 I can't say enough, guys. We don't know what our athletes are going through. Um, even the best athletes with 4.0s and healthy families feel alone and disconnected. And and so don't. So to my athletes out there, don't make assumptions that just because a kid looks like he's got everything going together that you don't need to close the proximity and show love. It's that kid that probably has everything that's going together. He needs just as much love, but keep your eyes up. Um, you'll know it. You'll know it. You'll know it. Your gut will tell you. And, uh, and, and, and it takes, it doesn't take a lot of effort or money to, to love another person. So thank you. Thank you, Dustin. Thank you, Shad. I appreciate this. Uh, thank you, Desi. And 
Thank you everyone for joining us on the Sportlight Podcast. We hope that this will be one you'll sit down and listen to with your kids and have some some needed discussions. Uh, Ask them what they're seeing. Ask them about their individual teammates. Make sure, help them as a parent to get going, to get started, to reach out to kids, to make sure everyone's included. Ask about kids on the team by name. Make sure everyone's being taken care of. And I really think if, if this discussion, everyone who listens to this has those discussions, we, we can help a kid and every kid, every, every parent who's ever had a kid who's struggled, which I think is every parent who's ever had a kid. <laughs> but uh, man, to have someone reach out, a parent reach out, a team reach out and bring them in, could change their life, could save their life, could enhance their life. And and so we, we encourage everyone listening to this, keep your eyes up and do the work. And thank you, Desi, for helping us do that better. Thank you. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Always happy to be a part of the solution, my friends. Thank you. This has been the Sportlight Podcast from Especially for Athletes, sponsored by Coca-Cola. You can learn more about Especially for Athletes by visiting the website at especiallyforathletes.org. You can also learn more about the book, The Sportlight, by Shad Martin and Dustin Smith at especiallyforalfies.org slash book.